everybody. Welcome to Allegory Story. My name is Tegan Aline. My name is Melanie Nevis. <laughs> this season we're focusing on witches and in this episode we're going to be talking about famous witches. And in this particular episode I'm going to be talking about a famous French witch. When we were trying to decide what witches we wanted to talk about, I was really unsure of who I wanted to kind of look into. And after doing some research, I realized it would be interesting to kind of focus on some French witches because it kind of ties in. Um, some of the more famous ones kind of tie in with an, an era that we talked about in the last season of the podcast, which was the court of Louis the 14th. So <laughs> we're back in the court of Louis the 14th and we're going to look yay! at Yay! What a time it was. <laughs> To, to be alive or not. And uh, and we're going to explore the story of Catherine Daye Montvoisin. Montvoisin. Voisin. I don't know how I'm saying that. I'm probably butchering it. Sorry, French people. I do want to share your history right. in English, but I'm not the best at pronouncing things. Yeah. <laughs> sounds French-ish. <laughs> French-ish. That's like the best we can go. That's the best we can hope for. That's the best I can hope for usually. <laughs> Sounds great, Tegan. Keep going. So I will say before we dive into this, I just literally did a search for famous witches and then I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then I was like, oh yeah, this really relates to like some of the other things um, that we've talked about. And it wasn't until I dove deeper that I found a really rando connection to here where I live <laughs> which I was oh really like not, very connected to Ariège uh not very connected but there is a connection between Ariège and and this witch which is kind of hilarious cool. and I wasn't expecting it at all is she the reason that all of the signs in your area are have little witch hats on them uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> witches on broomsticks and little witch hats this is yeah. real okay everyone <laughs> yeah it's a real thing it, it's not everywhere out here but I find them cropping up like more and more there's like these caution signs that are usually like you know they're the triangle with the red around the outside and it's usually what it shows is usually a person riding a horse so it's a caution sign that there are horseback riders like going through the area and but here where I live a lot of people have like I don't know how they do this it's with black tape or something but they take the riding hat and turn it into a witch's hat and then they add a little cat sitting on the back of the horse <laughs> and just like create add these little things I'll I'll see if I can find it I'll post it on our on our Instagram but it's it's so cute I love it's it. awesome I honestly love it and I'm like when I see stuff like that I'm like yep see that's why I that's why I live out here because <laughs> it's random and wild <laughs> I don't think she has any connection to that but <laughs> but given this area and given its history am I surprised there's a connection no not really so yeah so we'll so we'll get it. we'll get there we'll get there Anyways, so Catherine Daye Montvaisin, she's born in Paris in the 1640s. Not much is recorded of her because they didn't really record like what people assume is actually that she came from a lower class and that she wasn't necessarily very educated. 
um, because there's no really early records of her or who she was or who her family was. And we kind of know that like at that time, if, if you came from like a notable family, it might've been recorded, but not necessarily if you're like from the the peasant class of people. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's not much that's known about her. However, it is said, and I have to preface all of this by saying allegedly, there is a lot of right. <laughs> alleged stuff that's going on here. And we'll kind of like, you know, peel all of that back through and towards the end of it. But allegedly, she starts as a fortune teller. She's trained as a fortune teller at a very young age, as early as nine years old. And she's Hmm. basically kind of working like out on the street where she's basically, I don't, not acting like a beggar, but kind of just out in the street, kind of hustling. You know what I mean? Telling people like, Mm -hmm. give me a little bit of money and I'll tell your future. Again, there's no record of who trained her, but she became really well known in like about a 10-year period or so because her fortunes always came true. And so she started to become quite popular within her community and like the common people um, for telling fortunes. When she turns 20, she marries Antoine Mauvaison and he is a silk merchant and he also dabbles in owning like a jewelry store. So she marries, I guess I would, it gives me the sense that she kind of married into like what she would have perceived as maybe a better situation than the one she was in. However, unfortunately, her husband is not a very successful businessman and, oh yeah, bummer. (laughs) And both of his (laughs) his businesses end up going bankrupt and they end up having to file bankruptcy like in the mid 1600s which I'm sure really really sucked at this point she's got like a family of six including her including her uh husband including her children and I think I think I also saw a reference that she also was taking care of her mother as well so she's got a family of six that she has to provide for and this is when she really starts to think about the fact that she needs to level up her fortune telling skills and, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of find a way to create income for her family. She ends up being the kind of like the sole breadwinner for her entire family. Uh, Which would have been pretty rare in that time. Yeah. I I mean, it's interesting because I think we see like when you look, when you watch um, like historical fiction, like TV shows and books and things that are kind of based on that they always they're very often they show these types of characters of these strong women who were kind of like pushed into marrying a certain person for society societal reasons only to realize that he's like a gambler or he's just like yeah and she they end up being almost just as destitute as what they started as so women have to find a way to take over and like whatever so it's really interesting because right away I started to notice this kind of I don't want to call it a trope because it's not like incredibly common but this kind of storyline weaved into developing yeah of of this of this lady and I think that's that's I mean like it happened these stories happened and it's really nice to shed a light on them 
and appreciate them. But I think that TV shows make it seem almost like it was more common. Yeah. Maybe it was as common as we think. Maybe like a lot of women did kind of end up having to earn the money, but then kind of like hide it. <laughs> Who knows? It's all pretty speculatory, but I think I think, yeah, I think you're totally right. I think that there is quite a possibility. Women have always, I think one thing we can both agree on is that women have always had to be really resourceful. Yeah, absolutely. For various different reasons. So why would that end in this context? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of, again, it's a speculation, but it seems like it makes, it would make sense. So she starts to take care of her family and she needs to build a bigger client base. So she decides that she's going to take some training to become a midwife. Um, Like at the same time, her fame as a fortune teller is rising. So she's coming into contact with different classes of society because her fortune telling skills are so good. And Mm -hmm. it's within this area where she starts to meet women from different levels in society that I feel like when it comes to babies, women have had issues with babies on one hand or the other throughout, throughout. Yeah. It doesn't matter what class you're from. It was incredibly dangerous. I mean, it still is incredibly dangerous to have a child, Mm -hmm. but we have medical advancements now that make it safer. Right. Exactly. So she's coming into, she's crossing paths with more and more women who have various situations, not necessarily Mm -hmm. all black and white. And because of this, um, she starts to seek kind of like under the surface, secretly, she starts to become known for offering abortions, which is highly illegal at the time. Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church has got its claws full in on society at this point, right? So yeah. it's it's yeah. not just it's not just a mortal sin, which it is considered that, but it's also illegal. And it is said that she ends up giving more abortions than she does delivering babies. This is going to get dark. <laughs> well, no, I mean, we're like shadowing. Women- no, it's going to get dark. <laughs> okay. Okay, cool. I'm for it. I mean, I appreciate that she was doing that stuff because a lot of women were getting pregnant and they didn't necessarily have a say in the matter. Yes. And there was no form of contraceptive that was used. But what's so, one thing about abortions that we know about society? Yeah. Well, society. Uh, people don't shuns. like them, right? Like, people yeah. are kind of, and especially like, I'm not going to say male driven society because there are plenty of women that don't like abortions either or anti abortion. But I mean, no, like, it's generally a man controlling a woman's right to do with what she wants with her body and what's best for her. And we know this to be true. There's a bunch of countries that are dealing with this currently that like have gone back to draconian. Yeah. Ways of controlling their women. There are pieces in this story that are sadly so relevant to pieces that we are hearing right now. And I also think that was another reason why I wanted to explore it a bit more because that's how old these stories are. (laughs) We're talking like freaking Versailles, you know what I mean? Which is, it's crazy that we're regurgitating some of this stuff still to this day in like new ways, you know? 
mm-hmm. and and the way that it happened. So I'm as I'm going through the story, I'm explaining it like as the story is generally presented to the public. But I'm sure that you're going to find just as I did. There's so many moments where you're like, uh, what? Excuse me? <laughs> you know, like that doesn't make sense. But anyways, so she starts to offer abortions and she ends up giving more abortions than she did actually delivering babies. Um, the myth is that after, so there's a myth that revolves around this. And it is said that after she aborted the babies, she would burn them in her house in the furnace, and then she would bury the remains in her garden. Okay. I mean, if you are aborting babies, you got to find something to do with them, I guess. Like, well, it depends bad, on like but... when the abortion is actually happening as well. Like, generally speaking, you don't have much of a body to burn. Yeah. Well, apparently, she was also known for giving late stage abortions as well. Oh. Jeez. <laughs> okay. So well. this is this is the story. <laughs> I want to emphasize that that's <laughs> the story. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, despite all of this happening secretly, her infamy is kind of growing in a certain group, and more and more wealthy people, more and more higher upper crust people from like nobility are starting to come to her and request her help. And because of this, she's able to earn more and she's now making quite a good income as a fortune teller and a midwife. And it is said that eventually she has so many clients that she creates an, a, a network that is a network of different, um, ab- I'm going to call it, I'm going to say as they say, it, abortionists and poisoners. So she's okay. building, as she's building this rich clientele, she's kind of seeing um, patterns in what everybody wants. And the things that she sees as patterns and what everybody wants is everybody wants someone to fall in love with them. Everybody wants someone to die so they can inherit money and everybody wants somebody to die so they can marry someone else. Those seems to be (laughs) the three things that most of the people in society in that time are after. And this is, this is just a side note. I had a really fantastic conversation with um, uh, a friend of mine who's actually dating my husband's cousin Um, she's an amazing person and she's French and we were talking about French culture and she said something to me the other day about, um, like the history of the culture being about people just going out and trying to like get what they want out of people as opposed Mm -hmm. to being like being more individualistic instead of more community oriented, um, is kind of what she said. And when I read that, I was like... (laughs) Okay, well, I I see what she's talking about. (laughs) Hit the nail on the head there. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? So she she develops this network of people, of other, I'm assuming women, but probably some men too, that um, can help in providing different types of poisons and, and abortions. Wait, so I have a, a question because, yeah. like, yes, she she was known for doing more abor- abortions, I guess, and, like, known for p- 
poisoning and stuff like that. But if she was already a fortune teller, based on this fear of women and witches and stuff like that, I'm amazed that anyone would actually let her touch their baby and like open be open to her being a midwife i mm. i thought that they would kind of be afraid not everyone yeah, obviously but i figured some people would be afraid of that it's really interesting because while i was doing uh some reading on this topic it seems like there was more she wasn't like the only fortune teller out there there's actually a many accounts of other ones and it always hmm. seems to, and I again I wanted to talk about this because we talked about it in another episode on in this season where uh, a lot of the times when magic starts to re-emerge in later times it's usually always circulating around the wealthy trying to manipulate things so they can have more wealth or more love or more power you know what I mean yeah um, yeah so maybe because she's kind of moving in the upper crusts of society like maybe they don't okay. see her as such a threat I don't really I I mean it's speculation I can't know for sure but it's interesting because she's not the only one like there are other people that exist doing similar things and they find the fortune telling it's also it also feels really French to me because like especially King Louis the 14th courts like they want to be entertained everything is a party right, right. Right. And actually I'll I'll go into a little bit more around that cuz she she was kind of known as she develops her status. She's known for having like elaborate parties at her house and apparently she can play the violin. So she's like entertaining mm. people with the violin. Okay, so maybe fortune telling wasn't considered a witchcraft. Fortune telling wasn't considered witchcraft. Actually, yeah, we'll get okay. to we'll get to something related to that. Because okay. what ends up happening is in 1665, there is a priest. Don't ask me his name. I didn't bother writing it down. Sorry. Um, <laughs> in 1665, there is a priest of an order that starts to question her abilities. And he thinks her fortune telling is kind of dangerous. So I think what I think the way that we're reading it is not necessarily the way it might have gone down at the time. So I think what happens is that she's presented in society. The front is that she does fortune telling and she is a good fortune teller. But then as she's getting, you know, uh, there's always this like ongoing relationship between, you know, people's fortune tellers, uh, people's clairvoyance, and then they begin personal kind of relationships. And she probably learns about like other things that are going on in these women's lives, which leads of to the course. midwifery and abortion yeah. stuff, poison stuff, yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So that's like kind of all flying. Nobody's talking about that. They're just talking about the fortune telling. But the priest, his tail feathers are ruffled by her. <laughs> And so he, um, he starts to ask some questions and eventually she is actually taken into detention and she's forced to go to the Sorbonne, which is like, um, you know, like the elite French university. It's the equivalent of an Ivy League, like Oxford or something like this, but in France, so she's forced to go to the Sorbonne and there she is interrogated by a room full of professors that want to like break down everything about her predictions and ask her all of these things. Great. Yeah. 
So what's really interesting about that is she actually convinces this entire room of, of um, intellectuals and, and professors that, she, that her gift is a gift from God. That her oh, ability I love to love her, <laughs> right? She this girl's a smooth talker. I don't know me personally. Charisma scores through the roof. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine that. I mean, like, if she did come from like a lower class of society, she must have come from like a really, uh, a really interesting network of people that like knew, like knew the arts fortune telling all of these things like their their skill sets in order to like impress people and I feel like mm-hmm. wherever she came from she must have known like the way to use these to manipulate society to like get status is kind of like what I see but I don't think that's necessarily yeah. like a bad thing especially in that no that's making time. no I think that's just making do and like making your life work for making you. lemonade yeah making lemonade <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> she had the best lemonade stand on the block. You know? <laughs> so she convinces all of these people, all of these men at the Sorbonne that her fortune telling is actually a gift from God. And because of this, she's released and she's allowed to continue her work as a fortune teller. So you can imagine this even like this also adds to the her persona of who she is, right? Mm-hmm. And she... As she's going through this process, she starts to become like she starts to try to embody things to give her a sense of mysticism. So there's even a note about the fact that one point she paid like an exorbitant amount of money at that time to create a gown made out of crimson red velvet with like gold embroidered eagles on it and anytime yeah get really really (laughs) elaborate with it so that anytime she was practicing with with um you know her higher level clients or whatever she would come out in this outfit and she would just look like this like embodied divinity and I also think that's that's really you know you know dressing for the part in a way which is a term we use a lot but it's a really interesting that she was doing that to kind of add to her status and it worked. It worked. That's a really great marketing ploy. <laughs> she's a, this, this girl was she's smart. No slouch. <laughs> she's smart. Girl. No. Yeah. So by the late 1600s, her clientele is basically all French aristocracy. And because of this, she's, hosting a lot of these parties which is a great way to network and she's playing the violin again I like how do you learn how to play the violin if uh if you haven't had like a lot of training in the violin as a child kind of growing up you know um and so she's entertaining them and she's entertaining them in her garden I mean Mm. what I'm trying to say about the violin is that you don't think that there's going to be many people just trying to peddle fortunes on the street that are also learning violin, you know, like how did she Not necessarily, I mean, some people are just like very musically inclined and then I feel that the midwifery all and the, the, the violin practice kind of indicates that she must've learned more than just fortune telling when Mm -hmm. she was young. You know what I mean? Yeah. She had to have, she had to once she had to also bear all of these children that she now had to take care of. So like, when was all that? When did she have time to learn all this stuff? You know? Yeah. Is what I kind of wonder. So in hosting these parties, it, 
people start to recognize that she's she likes the booze. She's a bit she's an alcoholic. She likes the wine, okay? It's France after all. <laughs> and she, and in that same context, she's taking a lot of lovers. She's taking okay. many, yeah. many lovers of different kinds. She's still married. She uh, is known for having a lover that was a famous architect. There was a lover that was a magician, which is very interesting. Oh, that's cool. Um, a lover that was a count and also a lover that was the Vicomte de Crezon. And that that is where the connection to where I live comes into play because the Vicomte oh. de Crezon is like the part of the Pyrenees specifically where I live. And yeah. his connection is to Foix, which I think I think oh, you and I kind we of went drove by there. there. Yeah. That big yeah. that big castle there. Yeah. So that his big castle, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So his connection is that he for a time supposedly had an affair with with this, you know, kind of famous witch, fortune teller <laughs> witch lady, who is very enticing and alluring. And again, I think um there was uh, there had been, it was already failed by this point, but there had been a lot of uprising against the, the, the French Royal court down mm-hmm. in this area for like centuries leading up to this time period. So uh, would it make sense that he would be interested in, in aligning with somebody like her, with her energy? Like it, it feels like a match made to me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Can't know for sure. Maybe I'll start writing my own fiction. (laughs) But one of her lovers, a man named Adam Lesage, eventually grows really jealous of her marriage and her husband. And he tries to convince her to poison him. Allegedly, she agrees, but then she later changes her mind and then she doesn't go through with it. And that's kind of like an important thing to know as we like unfold who she is. Okay. After this, she starts to become, or in and around the same time, she also starts to become caught up in a series of conflicts with another fortune fortune teller named Marie Boss, who is- That doesn't sound French. I'm, I'm saying boss, but it's spelled B-O-S-S-E. Like okay. Boss. Like boss. boss. I don't know. <laughs> Marie, Marie Boss. <laughs> Is it better? There you go. <laughs> Marie Boss. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Merci beaucoup. You know. <laughs> I have to try for the accent. So I catch every now and then I catch myself saying something French with like the most Canadian sounding way of saying it. I'm just like, whoa, what? Ah, no, blah. <laughs> but it's um. kind of funny too. <laughs> so there is this other fortune teller. There's a few of them around, and there, but this one, she's kind of, she's kind of like maybe in a similar situation uh, to La Voisin. Like uh, Catherine becomes famously known as La Voisin. Uh, and I think I, I meant to look this up before we started, but I forgot. And I think it means, I think voisin means neighbor in French. And I don't know if it's spelled the same way as this. I have to double check. But anyways, her husband's, her husband's last name is mon voisin. Don't, so, so she becomes la voisin. 
<laughs> and that's kind of what she's known as. Um, but this other, so this other lady, this other fortune teller is also known for peddling poisons mm. and things like this. And there's a series of conflicts that's, that happens between them. And because of this, she is kind of considered um, La Voisin's like arch nemesis. Like they really are against each other. They don't get into too much story about what was going on between them though. So it, it's very unclear um, what the right, like what the rivalries were actually really about, because again, it's not like well-documented, right? So they say that it's not necessarily clear if it was her clients or if it was this rivalry that kind of shifted her path, but eventually, and I personally, my personal feeling is that it was a hundred percent the clients, <laughs> but eventually she starts working more with the dark arts mm-hmm. and what they are considering dark arts in this case is like making amulets and talismans, um, mm-hmm. making love potions and selling poison. Most of her clients, like I said earlier, they wanted to like fall in love or they wanted someone to die in their family so they could inherit more money or they wanted their spouse to die so they could remarry. So she starts Mm -hmm. making things that would, you know, help enhance. So she'll tell their fortune. And if the person's like, but I really want this or that, she starts to advise them on things that they could do to help get the outcome that they want. Also letting them know, though, that the outcome really depends on if it's God's wish or not. And I think that's really funny just in and of itself because she (laughs) is like actually a Catholic witch. (laughs) She Mm -hmm. goes to church. She still goes to mass while she's doing all of this other stuff. And she's still considered like devout. (laughs) Look, I think you can do both. Oh, you can. And I love you both. I One love the these same. stories so much because you start to see how how these ideas all like connect and like link into each other, you know what yeah. I mean? So as she's advising them, you know, she'll tell them like maybe you should buy a love potion for this or try a special powder for that or, um, you know, uh, a, a talisman. But apparently she's – one of the things she also ends up advising them to do is perform black masses. And apparently – she would hire priests and they would perform elaborate rituals in the catacombs underneath Paris. And basically the ritual would involve a naked woman. So the woman who's the ceremony is for laying down as an altar and then having a chalice put on her stomach by one of these like evil priests and then they would take a baby, uh-uh. the baby. I don't know. I'm not going to say that. And pour the, of the baby into the chalice. And this was like the black mass rituals that they would perform in order to get what they want. Wave any money in front of a priest. Wave enough money in front of a priest. And I'm sure you could get them to do something like that. Many, many people. I feel like. Many. Yeah, it's it's super icky and sounds and super vile. And also, let's also remember, again, this was a time where death was very common and uh, there was a lot less like we have a very um, 
Our relationship with death right now is one in which we don't really talk about it and uh, we're very sheltered from it and and death was just a lot more common. So let's just preface all of this with that at the very least. Like, oh, yes, yeah. it's terrible, but like it was common. Death was also, I don't want to give I don't want to give too much away, but I, I want to allude to the fact that I think that ultimately she was a scapegoat. So I, I don't. <laughs> want to say too much yet like I'm gonna get to it but did it happen I don't know anyways but it sounds awful there's lots of stories about lots of people like killing babies and doing this and doing that during the witch trials there was a lot of stuff yeah well I think allegedly happening like I think that two things still apply to this day and it's that society is outraged by rape by rape (laughs) I guess we can say mm-hmm. it. We've been saying abortion the whole episode, so fuck it. Um, by rape and by anything that happens to children. Um, mm-hmm. So it's always like not saying that those things don't happen. They absolutely do happen. But people also manipulate stories rela- relating to those things to get the like to get people outraged and upset and yeah. scared and terrified. Because it's like even to me when I was reading it immediately, I like I was like I like closed up I was like oh this is this is nasty like yeah like I don't really believe in the devil or anything but a concept of a black mask still makes me you know like uneasy Mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah so and that just 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 goes to show you know so this is what they say was going on and between these black mask uh, ceremonies and selling of poison, things start to unravel for La Voisin. And in 1667 is really where it starts to happen because she is hired by a member of King Louis XIV's court, Madame Montsapin. Madame de Montsapin. Man, I hope I'm saying that right. Probably not. Sorry. <laughs> I don't think I said that right. But anyway, she is hired by this woman because this woman really, really wants the king to fall in love with her. So she enlists La Voisin to help her with aphrodisiacs and performing of black masses to win him over. And it works mm-hmm. because in the same year, she becomes his like official mistress. Ah, okay. High hopes, yeah. But when, but we all know, I mean, if you know even a little bit about that era, we kind of know King Louis XIV was a man of many women. And yeah, he got around too. Kind of like Zeus. Yeah. (laughs) Very Zeus like. He definitely got around, (laughs) dipped his quill in a many ink pot, if you know what I mean. Gee, I wonder why everybody needed to have abortions. Like, just. Look at this society of these upper crust people. I wonder why she was giving everyone abortions all the time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think, can you imagine how out of control the population would have been? And like, oh, yeah, because everybody's just having affairs with everyone. And there's no contraception or concept of contraception. So these and they're all young. So these girls are getting pregnant and STDs and God knows what, like all over the place. I can only imagine the level of- you know there's a part of me that wants to be like oh it sounds so french but also that just happened in every royal court yeah even for me <laughs> it's I, such a stereotype it is such a french stereotype and i mean like 
I be- I don't know. It's their history. It, it seems like it yeah. was a real mm-hmm. thing for a, a very, very long time. It's a, I, cliches come from somewhere. <laughs> for sure. But I also think that it was a real thing in like every royal court everywhere. Yeah, probably. Everyone had a mistress. Yeah, for sure. And and give and give a big amount of power over to anyone and see and see what they do with it. Like the easiest thing they're gonna do with it is have sex. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) The first thing and the easiest thing. So, anyways, this uh, Madame de Montespan, she becomes the official mistress of the king. And of course, he has a wandering eye. So, it's not really a matter, it's not really that long before he starts to move on to having uh, affairs with like other women as well, even though she's considered his official mistress. And she gets really upset about this because she wants his attention for himself, for herself. So what she does is she continues to perform these black mass rituals in order to keep his affections. Um, But eventually it doesn't really matter anymore. He loses interest. And the the mistress, Mon Sapin, asks uh, La Voisin to help her poison the king and his newest mistress reluctantly she agrees and she just devises a plot to kill the sun king so it is said that on march 5th 1679 la Vosin visits the king with the intention to kill him she carries a petition that is laced with poison so poisonous paper hoping that when he touches it, that he he will die. Inevitably, the plot fails because the king was receiving too many petitions at his this time. There was unrest. And he doesn't end up handling any of them. So this plot never is fully lived. It never fully follows through. Oddly enough, a week after this incident, La Voisin is arrested by the police. And the police don't know anything about the plot about killing the king. But the reason she is arrested is because there is a a big investigation going on. And this is actually really, really interesting. There is a very famous incident in French history called the Affair of Poisons. It's a big murder scandal that happens in 1677. And I mean, like I can read kind of exactly what happened, but fundamentally it's a bunch of rich people trying to poison each other again to get money or to hook up with someone like, oh my God. but what happens this is a soap opera. It is such a soap opera. It's so, such a soap opera. I think there could be an episode dedicated to the affair of poisons just on itself because it becomes an, a huge, a huge investigation. Um, and at the time, they actually arrest another um, fortune teller. And this fortune teller is being charged with forgery and selling poisons. And this fortune teller says, um, I have information on a huge plot. In, and there's no and people from the royal court are involved on it in it and if you like reduce my sentence or let me go I will give you the names of all of these people so at mm-hmm. the police kind of work with her on this and that's why they end up arresting 
everybody that's connected to anything to do with fortune telling, anything to do with alchemy, anything to do with magic. And they kind of arrest La Voisin and they now, and then what ends up happening essentially is she becomes the ringleader for this whole brigade of people that are in, yeah, involved in all of this stuff. Because, because she, yeah, she just needed to go, they needed to make an example of someone. Well, I think there probably is, if I had to guess, if I, I always like to look at extreme things in history and then be like, what is the most likely common balanced thing? If I had to guess, she probably did know people that sold poison that she referred them to. For sure. She probably did know other people that would help with abortions that she referred them to. Yeah. So they kind of like make her the central point because she's the rich. She's very rich now. She's very famous Mm -hmm. and she does know the king and everybody knows she has some higher level clients. They kind of put her at the forefront of this network of like diabolical sorcery and witchcraft. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I mean, depending on how you're looking at it, it seems like, okay, like you could kind of see where they would get all of that idea from, you know what I mean? So the police are tasked with investigating and once they kind of go down the rabbit hole of looking into all of these people, now all of these accusations of witchcraft, murder, child abduction, and satanic rituals are just kind of like being thrown all over the place. And eventually Marie Marie Boss, <laughs> the great mm-hmm. enemy of La Voisin, is arrested and she begins to make claims against La, La Voisin as the mastermind behind this network of poisoners, basically. Okay. I love that network of poisoners. I feel like that could be a cool book name or band name. <laughs> but it is said that unlike her counterparts, unlike her colleagues, she wasn't actually tortured like everybody else. Because Maybe it's because she had a higher level of status in society at this point. But because they knew that she was an alcoholic, Instead of torturing her, apparently they just plied her with alcohol oh. for like months. Oh. Like they drank her, they drank her hard. Yeah, they made her drink hard in order to elicit an, a, a, cons- a confession out of her. And so she would like her tongue right. would loosen. So originally in the beginning, she denies all of these claims and she says that, you know, she referred people to Marie Bus for poisons and maybe Mm -hmm. she did stuff like that. But after like a couple of months of interrogation, I think the investigation starts in February and then she is arrested a little bit after that. And then she's like detained up until about October, I think, is where she starts to change her tune. So in and about October, she starts to... um, admit to selling poisons uh, and magical services to several notable people and several Mm -hmm. nobles, um, including some in the court. And after this, she refuses to disclose. So I think she's a very smart woman. She knows she shouldn't say too much, but I guess if you're being pressed for like so long, eventually you're going to- Eventually you're going to crack. And say something that they can use, right? But there is something that she's kind of, famous for saying 
at this time, which is interesting. Um, and she said something to the effect of Paris is full of this kind of thing. And there's an infinite number of people engaged in this evil trade. So she's definitely trying to say like, y'all are shady and there there's a market for it. That's why we exist yeah. doing what we do. Yeah. You know? That's fair. Yeah. So though she admits to some involvement, they don't consider her a- actions equal to those of actions that would require the death penalty. So all of a sudden, this is the moment where they start to shift the focus to this concept of abortions. And then that's when all of these stories about the black mass and the abortions and her having like a plethora of access to children, like dead or alive or whatever, um, starts mm-hmm. to, that's when these stories start to be created. Of course, she, right. she denies all of them. Um, and there was a big lack of evidence actually against her, but still on February 17th, uh, yeah, on February 17th, she's tried and she's convicted of witchcraft. And on the 22nd of February, this is now 1680 at the time, she is burnt alive at the stake at uh, Place de Greve in Paris. So uh, apparently when she was, I don't know, there's all of these kind of like things surfacing around even the day that she was hung, because apparently the week before she was killed, she was tortured and her legs were like squished and broken. But then people saw her walking around like she was fine, which kind of leads to this idea that she was a witch that could magically heal herself. And when Mm -hmm. she, and when she was brought to the pyre, she was actually seen like trying to push the police off of her and trying to fight. She was fighting until the last minute and trying to kick the hay, like, away from her because she she didn't want to be burned alive but she was actually burned alive and what I think is really weird is after her death the truth was revealed so all of these things that we kind well all of these things that we take as part of the story now so the black masses her working with this um famous this famous lover of the king uh, all of her clients, like there's a list of the names of the different clients that she had from the court. All of this stuff comes out after she's dead and is confirmed by her one of her daughters. Oh, shit. Yeah, so it seems kind of weird because like, it, se- it, it seems coerced. It feels like coercion to me. Like I feel like in a, in a sense, either her daughter had a nasty vendetta against her or her her daughter was like, I have to back up all of these claims or I'm going to be looked at like a witch just like my mom was. Yeah. And also, and also um, all many of her clients end up coming forward after she dies and giving testimony. So it's kind of like she doesn't really have enough information to get convicted on, but that whole concept of, you know, killing babies and aborting babies is like so extreme that it's enough that they're willing to to burn her alive. And then afterwards, all of these rich people and her own family are going around being like, oh yeah, yeah, all of that happened. Oh yeah, look, this was like, and there was this plot to kill the king as well. And there was this and that, and you know, so like all of this, all of this stories about all of her shady dealings actually come out after she's already dead. 
And it's so interesting, though, because the connections had already been made. So it's like you said, it's very possible. And I'm not saying that this is 100% true, obviously, but it's very possible that all of these other people that were connected to her in some way are then going, shit, Mm. she was actually killed for this. Yes. I need to just own up to it. I, I just need to like admit to something, even if it's not true, so that they leave me alone. And- that is I believe, very, very probable. I believe you know? she was probably she was probably dealing with some shady stuff. I believe she was doing For something. Sure. I I could believe that she was giving abortions. I could believe yeah. the I could believe a lot of it. Um, but I think it's interesting that she's actually she's actually killed with lack of proof. And like you yeah. said, afterwards, all of this information comes forward. It's like they have to create the story. To make her seem so bad that she was worth killing. Yeah. And then kind of make it end with her where it's like, oh, no, she was responsible for all of this. Yes. Like she, and, and she bewitched me into doing this stuff, you know, like I'm not like that at all. Yeah. And that was one of the other things I read that towards once she died, there was apparent there's I can't remember what it's called, but there's like a special type of letter where you get specific special instructions directly from the king himself. And he wrote some letter saying that, OK, like this whole matter is done the affair of poisons is done she's dead it's all put to bed to bed it's all over now and so he wrote a letter Mm -hmm. and then everything got dropped after that and everybody just had to like go on and like you know right go on their lives I think it's really interesting because I don't know if you like Outlander but I'm a big Outlander girly and I think I think it's like (laughs) it's season three where they're in Paris yeah um i think or, or is it season two no mm, i think it's okay it's, regardless i know, I know when they go to paris they go to versailles yeah and i think it's really interesting because um la voisin comte de saint germain and there's another i think it's nicholas remy i think is the other one these are kind of like three very notable alchemists uh witches of this period in time and i realized by reading into all of this she drew inspiration from all of these character like from all mm-hmm. of these like historical figures she kind of incorporated them right into the show like saint germain is in the show um Nicholas Remy kind of I think I don't even know if she names him Nicholas Remy in the show but it's the one that um that um what's the main name what's the girl's name what Claire Claire yeah the guy that she's learning from I think is very like like based on the idea of Nicholas Remy and I think even they take elements of her character like in that season and connect them to La Voisin, like the red, the member she comes out in that crazy yeah, she comes out in that red, red dress, dress and everybody's like, yeah. whoa, what's happening? Yeah. And yeah. so I think that, and the concept of the Dame Blanche, which is a, a white witch, which is another conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that's also interesting too, because I think there was an idea of like good witches at this time as well, which is maybe also yeah. why fortune telling wasn't seen as seen as such a bad thing or whatnot. So I would definitely like to read more about this, but 
yeah, I saw a lot of I saw a lot of that when I was reading these these story like reading into this history and I was like, "Oh, that's so cool and interesting." Yeah, I never made those connections. It's funny though because you started talking about this and I did get flashes yeah. of of um that season of Outlander, but I also got flashes of there was a BBC series called Musketeers mm, as well. Yes. And they were dealing with the court of Louis and and there's one specific episode where they're all um, they all go and and they're kind of seeing this magical stuff, I guess, come to light. Yeah, so to say. And I'm like just getting flashes to that, and I'm like, oh, this totally makes sense. I think it's really interesting just to know kind of a bit more about the history in relation to the things that come up, still crop up in like our in various ways in our storytelling to these days. And I didn't really know any of of this stuff so it's it's quite interesting to explore but yeah that's the story of la voisin she's one of france's most famous witches cool i like it i like i love that story yeah that's super interesting i mean yeah we're doing a lot of folklore and stuff but there are real characters to draw from as well that are super interesting so thank you for bringing that to light yeah well that's the thing i think on one hand we I feel like sometimes we're often playing in the gray areas where folklore and history collide because when mm-hmm. you start to go back far enough you really don't know which is what and you know yeah. where there's a there's so much speculation that that can be had because we don't have so much history and information but ultimately we are even to this day creating fictional characters based off of people that might have actually existed and 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 that is like the path of stories right kind yeah. of it, it's yeah. it's always taking from something that was real something maybe that wasn't as real or taking it out of context and changing it so that was really cool that was really really cool thank you i learned stuff yeah me too (laughs) it was fascinating good time so um so that wraps up this episode of allegory story um i hope you guys liked it if you are interested in having us cover any anything else uh related to like french witches please let me know because i would be very interested into doing a more deep dive into this also um always feel free to send reference material uh, because that's always something I'm interested in looking at, even if it's in French. I don't I don't think I have an academic level of French, <laughs> but I feel like with French stuff, it's kind of like part of the only way I can actually learn things is I have to translate a lot of it. So um, I'm open to that too. <laughs> and if you'd like to hear more stories about historical riches, or if you just have any thoughts in general, you can find us at Allegory Story Podcast um, on Instagram. You can also email us at Allegory Story Podcast at gmail.com. Yep. Yay. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks for tuning in. And we'll be back with another episode with another story about another witch. <laughs> another witch another thing another something yeah we'll see you next time <laughs> see y'all